dream, cowboys. Welcome back, everybody. It's the HBO Boys. We're talking about His Dark Material Season 2, Episode 3, called Theft. And it's directed by Leanne Wellam, which is her first uh, directorial debut of this show. And written by Jack Thorne and Sarah Quintrell, who I believe is also new to the show. I'm James, and this is Ryan. Hello, I'm Ryan. And let me tell you, I listened back to the last episode. I liked myself so much more, James. So much more chill I was. Yeah. But I don't think, it's not something that has legs. Okay, it can't last forever. I'm not that chill in real life. Well, I mean, sometime we gotta get manic, Ryan, on the show. Manic? You shall have him. Extremely not true. Yeah, the show's name is Theft. Very on the nose. Yeah, they weren't really, you know, going for the... It's not like a Westworld uh, naming conventions where it's, it's you know, you have to then Google what it means and how to say it. <laughs> Shall we call it the serpent's tongue? No, no, no. We, maybe, perhaps, we, we call it uh, darkness rising. No, 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 no. How about theft? You fucking got it, Brad. You really nailed it. Yeah, I mean, are we trying to reinvent the wheel here? I mean, let's just call it... Th- I mean, theft happens in the episode, doesn't it? Bang, bang, boom. Theft it, it is. It <laughs> but that's kind of indicative of this whole episode. Not a bad episode, but just not one where much happens. I would wholeheartedly disagree with you. Okay. Because I think the internet is kind of up this episode's butt mm-hmm. in a positive manner. Oh. They, as a whole thought it was pretty neat and i kind of am not in that same boat i felt like this episode unlike the first two episodes which were focused and story slash character driven this episode was like okay in the middle of the book like these eight things happen let's throw them at 90 miles per hour like they're a fastball just like in the third episode well we'll just tell everybody uh, oh by the way what are the pander bjorns doing we'll show them that for two seconds and then oh go back to lyra making terrible decisions and then oh what are the witches doing how have they not murdered everybody yet etc i actually for the first time i was like more interested in like the b plot you mean miss coltier and lee scoresby yeah a plot by the way that was completely created by and for the show what? like like yeah like the interrogation scenes between them did not happen in the books. He doesn't get caught when he is leaving the observatory. They're not in the same place at the same time. So that scene was created from nothing, basically, because creator of this show was like, I'd like Miss Coltier and Lee Scoresby to talk about their dads and how they're similar. Before we get into the recap, guys, just to let you know, we have a Patreon. You can listen to additional content and you can chat live with Ryan and I, and we'll read your name out at the end of the show. Just recently, the second Call of Cthulhu tabletop RPG episode is up on Patreon already. When's it coming to the main feed? Can't say. Gonna take me a while. <laughs> I have no idea. I cannot tell you what my actions will be in the future. And Hunter Hunter should be going up tomorrow on the Patreon as well. I hope so, because I have to do it tomorrow, so it goes up on the main channel on Sunday. But yeah, patreon.com slash HBO boys, boys with a Z. Bunch of cool stuff. One dollar a month. His Dark Materials. So just like basically every episode of the show, there's like an ABC plot, and the C plot is very tiny. But the first scene of the show, picking up where the last episode left off, 
magisterium, bombed the shit out of the witches who live like on the islands, which is maybe the main witch hub. And so they go to recruit some other witches to their cause in like the forest. And they say, you know, we need to help Lyra because she is the chosen one and she's going to save the entire Spider-Verse. So we need to support her. They also make the point where the little girl, Lyra that is, must do it in secret. She must do it without knowing that she is the center of a prophecy and that they themselves must help her in any way that they can. And they're saying that like it's a stretch of the imagination that they can be helpful, which is wholly incorrect. But, you know, you guys are gosh dang superheroes. Did you know that? Like how in which class were they like, okay, and then you go into the north and you can be separated from your daemon, which is, you know, pretty cool. Also, uh, you fly and um, while you're flying, you could take a knife and just like, you know, stab everyone on earth simultaneously, basically. The next thing we get from this plot line is that like Queen Serafina's falcon flies to the north to like go talk to polar bear bro yorick yes is that right i get that right yes yorick bjornson is visited by i think a hawk kajia perhaps seraphina pecola's daemon who goes there without telling seraphina that they were going to do this they make the point expositionally that asriel's sky hole is making everything melt global warming is real now her sky hole and the pander bjorns panzer bjorns are getting the fuck out of dodge because earthing is melting and all the seals have flown south for the winter which is winter barely exists anymore and this was like a real random scene it was perhaps on the exposition cutting floor it felt a bit disjointed but they were just like oh by the way the pandas still exist i mean wait by the way the polar bear still exists yeah not a lot of time spent on on the witches or whatever that which is good because i gotta say like of everything in the show i'm probably like the least interested in the witches and 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 what they have going on like it was yeah it was kind of dramatic when they got bombed but they really didn't change what they're up to they're still just kind of like going around talking to people and as i think we move out of the human plane like as the antagonist goes from human to perhaps more than that i think they'll become more involved just like emotionally for the audience but as of right now when we're watching lyra and will's budding friendship slash romance slash whatever you'd like to call it it's such a grounded storyline that when you go back to being like polar bear you must help the little girl and he's like i don't know how i'm i'm just like i'm a slow polar bear and the hawk is like you just gotta also the witches they have to be helpful too i'm sure they can be but it's nebulous as to how currently the b plot is all about alexander hamilton lee scores b Lin-Manuel Miranda. This is like a, a, a Lee episode, kind of. Oh, for sure. He was first Bill on this episode. It was the largest chunk of acting he had to do as well. So the first thing we get is some magic-looking dude in the woods who we do not know seems to be casting a spell on the wind in order to push Lee's balloon. He's like, return, come back to me. <laughs> and then you know we see Lee up in the balloon and he's like, wow, that's windy finally. Hey, look, a random town. Why don't we stop? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, perfect. So that guy is perhaps Stanislaw Gruen, played by Andrew yes. Scott, the local shaman, who is a airbender confirmed. At the town bar, Lee is asking around about Gruen, and he gets a lead that he used to work at a local weather observatory on a nearby mountain, but he also, you know, very, very obviously attracts the attention of some magisterium officers and just doesn't notice. Doesn't notice them sitting plainly in the open right behind him, looking right at him as he leaves. Kind of kind of a uh, oblivious guy. Weird scene, too. Hey, I need this exact information. Here's this exact information. What's the consequence of getting this exact information? You did it in front of all the bad guys and you were loud about it. Okay, bye. So he goes up to the observatory. There's like a single professor weatherman who works the telescope. And he asks about Grumman. And again, kind of weird. The guy tells him like, oh, you can find him. He's up the Yangtze River. I'm, I'm sure that's not what they said, but that's what it sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But yeah, you can find him there. But also, no, I'm angry at you because Grumman's a heretic. And, and so you must be one too. And Lee's just like, well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, this is Dr. Haley. He's the scholar at the observatory. He's also perhaps a magisterium agent. And as Lee Scoresby is like, okay, I'm going to slowly but surely back out of here as you look at me with death in your eyes. And he gets out the door and then shots start ringing out. Lee dropping to his knees and turning fires away in self-defense and through a door like, you know, eyes closed 360 no scopes this dude and totally takes him out. And then, you know, tries to leave again, and the people he was screaming at before are, surprise, here to arrest him. But he feels bad. Although he's like a, you know, a a traveling hero or whatever, not a killer, did not want to kill this guy, just kind of shooting in self-defense, and now he's sad that he had to kill him. Yeah, like on the same plane Will is, about the dude his cat definitely killed. Meanwhile, Colchier's airship is like coincidentally stopping in the exact same town. Okay. Well, well, they make a comment. It's like, oh, the wind is really bad. So maybe it's uh, it's the magic wind man pushing everyone together. <laughs> right. Stanislaw Grumman's whole new world. She finds out that Lee is being held in the dungeon of like the hotel. <laughs> so she goes to see him. She questions him about Lyra and he's trying to play dumb. And so she basically puts all her cards on the table and tells him everything to try to like win him over. Which felt a bit out of character. But I mean, I don't know. He's chained up. So perhaps she feels like there's no threat there. But, you know, he says that his dad was mean to him as a kid. So you can threaten me and you can torture me all you want but i'm not going to tell you anything about lyra's whereabouts and then he also is like your dad was the same and she was like what what are you talking about he's like no i know i see that dad was mean to me yeah, looking bad at dad look <laughs> yeah it, it could have been a bluff that just like you know he just rolled in a fucking nat 20 yeah i mean true. <laughs> I just, I think it was pretty straightforward when you meet Miss Coltier. I'd be like, who fucking hurt you? 50-50 chance is one of her parents. And, you know, this scene, I think, asks a lot of questions. At the end of it, when Miss Coltier goes back and was like, you're totally right about my dad being mean to me. And you have the heart of a champion and I don't think I could break you. And then, you know, she lets him go because she thinks... This dude looking for Lyra right, can only be a good thing. Right. There's a, just a decent chance that 
if he finds her first, it will be positive for Lyra rather than negative. Well, that's what made me think this scene and then the scene where she, well, she gets a letter from Boreal and we'll get back into him. She gets a letter from Boreal saying like, I have Lyra. And so she lets him go. And I'm wondering, like, are they now trying to like redeem her character? Right. What is her deal? Like, does she have BPD? Like, why is she so evil, but then also nice? Is she a good mom? Well, I would say no. She like tortured her daughter in that one scene. Sure. That's true. It's asking the question, like, you know, if you hit your kid once, does that make you a bad mom forever? If you hit your kid once and then also murder some other kids. Her friend. No, no, wait, that was her dad. (laughs) Tough times. Anyway, it's a complex question. But I think this scene was mostly like, hey, Lin-Manuel Miranda, let's give you some acting to chew on. Although I will say he did a decent job. Like he was pretty good in this scene. But I will say... I think it speaks more to your acting ability that, you know, to be good in subtle scenes, you know, like scenes where you're sitting at a table, scenes where you're not working off of huge emotional moments like being tortured or angry moments where you're talking about the father who beat you up your entire childhood. And I I think he struggles in the subtle scenes, the ones that don't feel like he's in a large theater shouting to the rafters where he has to like, you know, remember that he has an accent every now and again. Uh, But the scenes where it feels like theater, he does a much better job. And kudos to him. He did a good job in this scene. But I feel like, especially next to professional actor Ruth Wilson and a lot of the other actors on the show, there still leaves something to be desired most of the time about what he's doing on screen. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, from a perspective of that, like, I guess I'm a fan of his. And it's just like a curiosity to see him on screen doing anything other than Hamilton to me. I still enjoy when he's on screen. And as he, he's doing a serviceable job, no scene that he's been in has he done a bad job. He's just not killing it like the people he has to act against. You know what, James? I think we have to check in with our alter egos and see what they feel about this. Hey, hey chill, Ryan. What do you think about this? I mean, the dude murdered it. He did such a good job and his eyes were wet. So that's positive. Manic Ryan, what do you think about this? I think he was a complete ass. He overacted the entire thing, and uh, a, a trained monkey could do better than him. Wah, wah, wee, wah. Hey, Chill James, what do you think about this? So I've only got, I've got uh, very positive James and very negative James. Okay, positive James, what did you think about this? Oh, I liked the way that he was on screen, and it reminded me of a musical I like. Sure. Negative James, what are your vibes? He's got a really puffy face. What's an allergy reaction or what's going on? Yeah, a lot of prosthetics. Just a huge jaw. He's been doing like deadlifts, but with only his bottom jaw. So the main plot is more uh, Lyra and Will. And to me, this is where the, sh- the episode kind of dragged, to be honest, which is Weirdly. unusual because I usually like the parts with them the most. Yes, and you know, I'm going to posit why, James. I feel like Lyra this episode was... Dumb. Yeah, suffering from a bit of season two Westworld Dolores syndrome, where she was making decisions that were not smart and just like taking part in hubris on many occasion and all in the face of Will being like, please stop. I'd really like to find my dad and her being like, yeah, but my thing. 
though. So back in the empty city of magpies, Lyra wants to go back to hang out with her new buddy, Professor Maloney. But Pan says, no, the Golden Compass said that we should stay here and look for Will's dad. That's what the Golden Compass said. And it seems to know best what it is we should do. And Lyra's like, no, I'm going to just, I'm going to just ignore that for now because i yeah, want to go have fun fuck you fate i'm gonna go see maloney baloney will wakes up and reads one of his dad's letters that he wrote way back in the day to his mom which gets him motivated to you know talk to the golden compass again but lyra is already left with the, to saint peter's leaving will behind which is like okay well maybe you want to take the guy who knows about this reality maybe nah she's already five thousand. back into what you could call our world or will's world and she shows up at the college that Maloney Baloney works at. And there's a porn stash cop there. <laughs> She's just like, oh, perfect. Let's do more stuff with the cave, the large altheometer machine. And Maloney is like, that would be awesome. Except for the cops are here and you should run. But then the elevator opens and the cop is like, come sit down. Very Chris Harrison sit down right here so he tries to question lyra and she's got like her poker face on and you know he's trying it seems like he's asking kind of pointed questions to me which makes me wonder like how much he knows like i expect him to be like okay where were you yesterday Uh uh-huh uh-huh and uh can animals talk yes or no (laughs) do you have a talking animal on you he he like rapid fire questions to her to just try to get her off kilter and then just after a normal question she'll be like "Uh uh-huh and are you staying with will and she was like yes fuck So she runs out of the way. Maloney does her best to help. You know, she does like the three stooges like, oh, am I going left? Are you going right? Oh, sorry. (laughs) Getting in your way. (laughs) And then also like Pan is a bird and is giving her directions around the city. And then Boreal rolls up just in time. In his Tesla. Right. With like DeLorean wing doors. A bit much Boreal. He is a lord, I suppose. How do do you open those doors like if you're parked in, in a tight parking spot? I don't understand. You just press go. And they scrape everything up and back down. (laughs) So he gives her a ride, but she can tell he's kind of weird. And she gets a bad feeling, so she wants to go. And he plays it cool. He's like, yeah, sure, go, whatever. What does it matter to me? And she gets out, but she realizes she's left her bag. And when she gets the bag back, he takes off. And she's left the golden compass. And I gotta say, you know, something like stuff like this happens. Uh, It's a terrible feeling when it does. Like you leave your phone like at a restaurant or something. And you just pray to God that it's still there. When you come back. But I mean, a phone, yeah, a very expensive thing that you should not lose. But like, this is basically the only thing of hers that matters. And she just left it in the car because she was a little bit nervous. Which to me is kind of like, as you said, like, you know, season two, the character suddenly becomes dumb to build drama, even though previously they were too smart to do this kind of thing. Did she leave it in the car? I feel like he just yanked it. No, she left the bag in the car. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. And then that gave him a chance to be like, yoink. Back in the city of magpies. You were desperately trying to not say Chittagatze. I not even, yeah, I'm not going to try. Chittagatze. And I can't, I, just thinking about like Westworld season one, I can't even say like very basic Italian words. So I'm not going to try to say this 20 letter fake word. Chittagatze. Leanna Mormont from Game of Thrones is poking around a house. Yeah. Will goes in because he thinks it's Lyra. And and they talk a little bit about the tower. And Leanna Mormont says that nobody goes in or out because there's, no there's no entrance and no exit. And Will's like, well, that can't be true because I saw a dude up there. And Leanna's like, well, that can't be true because the specters already ate all the adults. 
And she does tell him the story of a great scholar who lived in the city and worked in the tower, but he got eaten by the specters. And she also says, by the way, you're going to get eaten by specters because you're a boy. And he's like, I'm not worried about it. Speaking of said specters, remember two episodes ago where the end of the episode, Will was about to be eaten by a specter, and then we haven't talked about that or heard about that or seen that on screen since? Isn't that mm-hmm. a little annoying? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to know. what Did the specter just leave him alone because he's not old enough? If that's the case, could like could we get some confirmation of that? Mm-mm, this is a off-screen death, apparently. So now we get some pretty boring scenes with Maloney. She's trying to use the cave computer to ask about Lyra, but she can't get it to work. Although once she gives up, it then broadcasts the image of a snake. I didn't really get what that was about. She is in the Adam and Eve allegory representing the serpent. So that could perhaps be it. (laughs) Then we get some Maloney characterization. Her sister and her sister's kids come to visit and her sister browbeats her about being a workaholic. And I just kept thinking, like, you know, I really enjoyed the characterization that Lee and Coltier got in this episode. But I'm thinking, like, how, is Maloney going to be a big character? Why are we learning so much about, like, her work and her home life? Yeah. relevant to the story? I mean, she's going to be a huge character in the story. But, like, oh, okay. also, the actress playing her is doing an incredible job. But also, also, I really didn't need this amount of backstory. Like, I kind of got it. We like through the lens of Lyra, I was picking up what Maloney Baloney was putting down. Yeah, I uh, just through visual shorthand and and just the expressions that she gives off. I feel like I already know this character inside and out. Like, yes, I know this archetype. Oh, but she needs to get grant money, and oh, she needs to get published. And by the way, she has a niece and nephew that she has available. Learn about her dating history next. With a hundred million percent, yes. Well, I mean, her dating history probably wasn't all that impressive. She was a nun previously. Right. She's married to the computer now. Yeah. Or the I Ching box, perhaps. Alex gets fed up with Lyra being gone, so he heads back through the window to his world, where he finds her totally in despair. You mean Will? Yeah, I don't, I, I keep calling him Alex, because like, for some reason he looks like an Alex to me. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love how you're just like, they did this wrong. Philip Pullman in 1995 fucked up. No, no, he was fine. They should have casted a kid that looks like a Will and not a kid who looks like an Alex. What is, who looks like a Will? Name an actor who's more Will. Uh, Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom is Will? He looks like a Will, yeah. Not Will Smith? No, Will Smith looks like, it look, look, looks like a... Yeah, try not to be racist when you say this. <laughs> I said Hitch. Hitch? Looks like a guy named Hitch. That is such a cop-out. So yeah, Will gets fed up waiting for Lyra and goes to follow her into his world. And he finds her very upset about losing the golden compass, which they needed to help find Will's dad. And Pan reminds them, hey, you have Lord Boreal's card, so you could go try to go find it. And, and they decide that's a good idea. They're going to go tonight. First, they got to hide out a bit. Thanks, Pan, for having pertinent information that everyone, including the audience, knew. And the fact that you had to bring it up in a troubling moment in time is uh, perplexing right on though they go to hide out in a movie theater like it's an old-timey effective story this is the best scene in the show for me personally lyra's going hard at the popcorn even though she doesn't like it and then will accuses her of being too carefree and she counters that while she doesn't you know waste time bemoaning her fate she does take things very seriously 
she's always thinking about her lost friend Roger, and mm. they kind of they reconcile from their little fight. And meanwhile, Lyra is completely captivated by the cinematic achievement that is the Paddington movie. Few things off the bat. One, the fact that she's dropping like big trues about popcorn. This tastes like cardboard, but I can't stop eating it. That is incredibly relatable. Everyone understands that. Two, we get it. You have a dead friend. You can stop bringing up the dead friend. And we know you feel bad about it. And three, Paddington is the perfect children's movie, a perhaps perfect movie, if only eclipsed by Paddington 2. Include, okay. Uh, I haven't seen them. The internet says that they're amazing. Okay. They're like 100 percenters <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. It's incredible. Meanwhile, Maloney does an I Ching reading to try to, because she can't talk to the computer. So she tries to read Lyra's fortune using the I Ching. And I actually know how to do I Ching readings because I said... I did a whole paper on them in my undergrad. Yeah, which you're you're really harping on. You need people to know. It feels like this paper was like took a piece of you, and now that you have the ability to tell people that you've done it, you need them to know because it's the only way that you'll feel whole well, the again. The I Ching like almost never comes up. Like it comes up in this show, and it comes up in the Man in the High Castle. Which, by the way, I read the book before that show came out, so I was on that shit. Before it was cool. Do you need a stepping stool to get off this high horse? (laughs) But it's also a big plot point in that story. And then I think there's like a one-off joke in The Simpsons. Uh, And those are like the three places I heard it. Like the Repo Men come to repossess this like New Age healers, like all her shit. And she's like, oh, but the I Ching said I had more time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, she, she draws the sticks. There's a few ways to read the I Ching. And she does like the stick method. And she gets hexagram 51, which is shock and thunder and that fortune indicates that the current events are building towards a moment of extreme change right so good call iching because that's more or less how a story works <laughs> like you build towards uh some kind of um right you know movies what's the word i'm looking for the big thing that happens at the end a climax yeah <laughs> Thank God we have a local eaching expert on our podcast. Right. Between us, Ryan and I know a lot of things about ancient Chinese fortune telling and movie terms. I mean, I've read a lot of fortune cookies, if that's what you mean. Alex and Lyra go to see Boreal at his fucking sweet ass house. It's a nice house. Yeah, he has a museum house. It's his mu- it's a house that's a museum. Uh, he has no intention of giving back the golden compass. He's like, what? I stole it fair and square. And also... I'm a full-grown man, and you are two little kids wanted for murder, so I feel like I have a lot of the, uh, I feel like I have the majority of the, God, I just can't Leverage. words to, yeah, in this situation. Thank you, God. <laughs> what would I do without Ryan? <laughs> I don't know, man. And he is so bold, like, he just takes out the altheometers, like, you mean this? No, you can't have this. This is mine. Right. And I got to say, there there were at least like a, a less than 1% chance. Like they could have just tried to knee him in the balls and grab it. And they could have yanked it, it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he tells them that if they want the golden compass back, he gives them a fetch quest. He's like, you have to go retrieve the magic knife from the magic tower in the, the say city it. of magpies. Nope. And try to say it. In, in Sidigizga. And, oh, you uh, fucking nailed it. <laughs> and and Lyra's like, you're on. So we got a fetch quest going, which sets up, we're finally going to see what's going on with the tower, and maybe the specters, and maybe what happened to Will that time. That'd be nice. This episode is mostly just to set up for the next episode in terms of the Lyra-Will storyline. 
Yeah, but I'm I'm excited that the fetch quest is occurring. You know why Mandalorian is good? Because quests are fun to watch. When you have a very specific mm-hmm. goal, the audience can just buy into immediate, like, understood, find knife, get golden compass back. Main characters, you do that now. That's just, it's entertainment at its finest. Yeah, well, I, I assume this is the subtle knife. Tis, the name of the second book, which the second season is based off of. The knife is so subtle. Like, when you get stabbed by it, it takes you a couple minutes to realize. You're like, oh, was I stabbed? I thought he was just holding the knife close to my abdomen. <laughs> oh my god, what a tenuous knife. Who worked on this show? This episode was written in part by Sarah Quintrell, who writes on Doctor Who, which is a show I do not like. And I know it has a lot of fans, probably people who listen to the show, because it's a very, very popular show. I don't like it. I've never liked it. I can't get into it. I've seen many episodes. I haven't really liked any of them. Sorry. I mean, you don't have to apologize. Also, she's not a writer in Doctor Who. She was an actress who played in one episode of Doctor Who. And she is a actress turned writer. I mean, she did write on The Trial and Murder in a a Family. But she is, I believe this is her first writer's room, just like sitting at a table, breaking down stories. And this was directed by Leanne Wellam, who is a relatively... Not new, but she just hasn't worked on a whole lot. She worked on The Trial of Christine Keller, Endeavor, a bunch of stuff that I haven't heard of. But she's going to be, at least at the end of this season, the director of three separate episodes. It is just, I think, uh, with the woman director and now two separate women on the writer staff and with co-writing credits, it's just like a very specific... Uh, understanding that in this season two, and we saw this on Lovecraft Country too, HBO making a concerted effort to have women involved in the creation of shows. I I, I really enjoyed the interview with Aaron Guzikowski and Ridley Scott where they're talking about well that HBO initiative about getting more women in the writers' room, and Aaron oh. Guzikowski's like, absolutely yes, we are getting more women in the writers' room, and Ridley Scott's like. I don't know, maybe if we if we meet a good one, but I'm yeah. not concerned about it. Ridley Scott <laughs> fucking up so hard. Like, totally cancelable, but nobody did inexplicably. The next episode is called The Tower of Angels, which I guess is the tower with the knife in it. But, I mean, we're only not even halfway through the show. We will be halfway through the show at the end of next episode, because there's only seven episodes. And... And I, you know, I don't even know anything about Lord Asriel, but just knowing that there was supposed to be an Asriel backstory episode that got cut now makes me really want to see that episode with like a young Asriel and a young Coltier and what their whole deal is, why they both grew up to kind of be evil child murderers. Right. They like shouldn't have told us about it because now that I know that I could have had it and I'm not going to get it, it has only enraged me. That was a good, uh, we should have talked about it more, maybe. That was a really good end of season one, like, twist. Like, you know, like, oh, Ned Stark gets his head chopped off. What a twist. Like, oh, actually, the father figure that we all love is a child murderer. Yes, he is an ends justifies the means kind of dude who says to everybody that he is fighting a war that nobody else fully understands. And in said war must be casualties. And perhaps... You know, I was going to kill my daughter, but 
if I had the choice, like between a, my daughter and a complete stranger boy, I choose stranger boy. And I'm going to just, you know, sever you from both your daemon and the earth. Okay, goodbye. I'm about to go through the sky hole. Okay, bye. Uh, this is a Reddit thread and a comment that I want to read you and then get your vibe on. This Reddit mm. thread is called Season 2 is Fantastic. The first comment on it, or the, the general premise of it is like, what's your general opinion on Season 2 versus Season 1? I'm loving Season 2 so far. We shouldn't have more than seven episodes. And while I agree with that, I, I, we'll, well, we'll see. This is the first comment on it. It's better than Season 1. Interactions between Lyra and Will are fun to watch, and I really like the way their friendship is portrayed in the show. I like Lee's storyline as well, even though I think that his storyline in the books is much better. Oh shit, shots fired. Sadly, it suffers from the same issue that the first season did. There's too much time wasted on Boreal and Miss Coltier or other Magisterium members, and a lot of scenes that feature them feel a bit useless. But it's still a very good season. What is your vibes yeah. on that comment? Yeah, well, I think it's similar to what we've been saying. That, like, you know, secondary characters are fine. Maybe they should restrict their stream time, which I think they do. But restrict it a little more because uh, I really just want the main plot to move forward. Not too much dirtling. I, I wholeheartedly agree. While I, I hope that Miss Coltier and Lee Scoresby getting a lot of airtime in this episode is a indication that this kind of thing... Although I know next episode is going to be Stanislaw Grumman and Lee Scoresby just chilling with each other, which to be fair, I'm fine with. Andrew Scott as an actor is one of my favorites of this entire like generation. His part in Fleabag is mind-numbingly good. His portrayal of Moriarty in Sherlock is exactly the same. So throwing him into the center of this season, I think can only be positive. And I'm looking forward to seeing that. Although at the same time, it will do what we were just talking about, which is negative, which is it will take time away from Lyra and Will's storyline, which is, you know, what we want to see. So... I don't know. Like, I got to the end of this episode, and I was like, no, 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 come on. Come on. How is this not the Netflix model? How have you not released all seven episodes at once? How can I just, like, why am I sitting in a world where I just can't watch the next episode? Which, by the way, I can. It's on the internet right now, because it airs in goddamn England a week beforehand, and I have to, like completely close my eyes and put my hands on my ears when I look at anything on Twitter or Instagram, not to spoil it for myself. You know, to be fair, I've spoiled most of the story for myself anyway. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I just felt like perhaps it was just after reading all the reviews for this episode where everyone was kind of up its butt about how good it was. And, yeah. and it just made me feel like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not my favorite. Not a bad episode. I mean, even like in episode one, the episodes that I don't love uh, aren't bad. It's not like, you know, Raised by Wolves. I knew you were going to say that. Or or, uh, or Lovecraft Country where there are episodes that I just like did not like. Right. A I slog mean, to get through. I mean, this episode just wasn't, to me, up to par with the with the rest of the show. Which, I mean, not a miss, just not just not a hit like those other ones were, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I also think it's still probably one of the better television shows on right now at the same time. So, you know, I'm looking forward to episode four. What's its uh, generic name again? No, not a generic name this time. It's not just like The Tower. It's The Tower of Angels. Okay. You're giving it the benefit of the doubt there, but The Tower de Los Angeles. I look forward to being a high-octane Stanislaw Grumman-based episode that knocks my socks off. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you're just listening, it means a lot. If you want to go the extra mile, find us on social media. On Twitter, he's at Westworld Ryan. I'm at James Watches Men. We also have a Facebook page. You can follow that, too. 
you could leave us a nice review on the relevant podcast apps, or you could just spread the show by word of mouth. That's how we get by. Or you could really uh, underwrite the show by kicking us a dollar more on Patreon. Patreon.com slash HBO Boys. As we said, you get bonus content. Chat with Ryan and I, and Ryan reads your name at the end of the show. Like I'm about to do right now. Jamie Lochner, Anthony Wells, Harbaugh, Greg Nicole, Day 11 Podcast, Jan Josh, My Don, Cliff Wilding, Atheist is Unstoppable, Chris Wood, Brankin, Day 11 Westworld, Craig Bachman, John Jers, Major Woody, and Carol Andreas. Thank you very much for the dollar or more a month for the bonus content that everyone in the world should be yielding pleasure from, but aren't yet. Only y'all are. Till next time, we got season two episode four coming and then at some point the next call of Cthulhu episode will come as soon as i finish putting sound effects and bgm and make a few little more edits that'll be out soon and that came out really good so i think you will like it or you can hear it right now on patreon yeah dicks do that was that aggressive was that too aggressive that was sergeant ryan we need the chill opposite ryan of come the back. opposite of chill ryan just like check it you know <laughs> Are we done now? We're done. Okay.